everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name's Brandon Chowan, and joining me tonight, we have Ash Collins. Ash, how are you tonight? Pretty good. Excellent. You enjoying your days off? Oh, and definitely. Good. Excellent. And we also have Mark Nadu. Mark, how are you? Good. Wonderful. Did you have a, a, a safe and fun trip to Pittsburgh? I did. It was fantastic. Drive's a bit boring, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw friends and I saw the NXT event in Pittsburgh and uh, it was worth the drive. That's excellent. How long is that drive out of curiosity? Uh, it took me just over eight hours. Okay. Yeah. Not terrible. That, no. it, only, it takes me about eight hours to get to Pittsburgh. So it might just be the, maybe we're not as far away from each other as I think we are, but probably not. Who knows? I have to, I'll have to look at a map after I'm done here to see where you are. <laughs> well, you see me waving? <laughs> yeah. That's you? Okay. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I am wearing pants. The the bush oh. is kind of hiding it. <laughs> am I? <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad to be back again tonight. We took a, a week off, and so we are ready to um, dive into our new arc here, which I'm really excited about. But before we begin tonight, I just wanted to send out a big thank you to the Letterboxd community. Uh, so as a lot of you probably are aware, Letterboxd is this awesome film website where you can go in, you can log your films that you watch throughout the year, and you can write reviews on it. You can read reviews from other users, things like that. And you can find that at letterbox.com. Well, all of us are Letterbox users. And so on the last, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's basically their newsletter. On that last one, they had uh, our podcast highlighted. And so I just wanted to send a big thank you to the Letterboxd community for highlighting the Cinefessions podcast on there. And um, we really, really appreciate that. So that said, if you're turning in, tuning in to the podcast for the first time today, welcome in. And if you are returning to the show, welcome back. We've had a, a ton of new subscribers to the show the past couple of weeks here. Uh, thanks in part to that Letterboxd newsletter. And also... Thanks to our Making a Murderer podcast, which has been really popular. And so I'm, I'm really happy about that. So thank you guys so much for listening to the show. It, it means a lot to us to see those numbers and to know that people are out there listening to us each week. So so thank you. Yeah, uh, I don't want to brag, but I got tons of chicks because of this. <laughs> thank you, Letterbox. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, there you have it. There you have it. See, the, the, the proof is in the pudding there. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the next step here, and I'm, I'm sure this is something that all three of us would love to see, is is getting the opportunity to interact with even more listeners. Uh, we have we have some great listeners out there who they comment on the show and they they talk with us on Twitter all the time, and and we love that. Um, and we'd love to be able to talk directly with even more of you. So if you're listening, please you know let us know that you're listening and, and let us know how we're doing. Follow us on Twitter. I'll put the Twitter handles in the show notes again this week. You know, or hit us up on our email contact at cinefessions.com. Best way for us to know that we're doing a good job or even a shitty job, whatever, is to hear it directly from you guys. So we'd love to hear feedback from you. And to uh, throw a little more excitement into the mix, uh, we're going to do another giveaway. So we're Ooh. still waiting. I know. I'm excited about it too. So <laughs> we're still waiting for our first iTunes review. So what we're going to do is the first five listeners to give us an honest iTunes review are going to receive a special horror, sci-fi, and or cult movie grab bag as a thank you from us. So uh, the, all you have to do, listeners, is, is find us on iTunes. You can search for Cinefessions or you can follow the link in the show notes. Give us a review, hopefully a five-star review, but you know whatever you feel is fitting. And then shoot us an email at contact at Cinefessions.com. Let us know that you left that review. And in that email, make sure you include your shipping address. And so once we see that review posted on iTunes, uh, I'm going to send you out a random horror slash sci-fi slash cult movie 
or two or three, whatever the case is, to the first five listeners that leave us reviews. So all you have to do is leave a review, shoot us a quick email with your address, and that can net you a free horror movie or two. So that's awesome, I think, anyway. You know, I'm always do down. Do I for qualify for that? Unfortunately, uh, no. God damn it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would appreciate it if you wanted to go on there, but it would kind of be a little uh, incestual, I think. So you probably, what? probably stay away from that. But. What if it's your little secret? <laughs> <laughs> Just fake naming it, you know. <laughs> People do that all the time, I'm sure. But not, not us, damn it. We are better than that. And so we'll just wait for the the listeners to to chime in. Now, I can't guarantee the quality of these movies. And frankly, some might suck. But hey, they're free. So who gives a shit? So, uh, all right. With that said, Ash, I know you've been off this past week. So uh, what have you been doing the past couple of weeks? It's been about two weeks now since we've talked last on the podcast. Uh, anyway. uh, well, lots of home improvement stuff. Okay. Spending more money than we actually have. Um, <laughs> that type of thing. Uh, no, I watched, watched what we needed to watch, um, went out to see The Forest, which I need to finish my review for, and yeah. The Boy, uh, both of which I really enjoyed, and my wife actually really enjoyed, so that was cool. Excellent. Um, we, uh, but other than that, I've been binge-watching Longmire, like, freaking crazy, and driving my wife nuts with it. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I've not seen an episode of that show. It is, it's interesting, it's... It's it's a cop procedural, but at the same time, it's kind of almost like it's got a very Western flavor to it. It's mm-hmm. set in uh, like the outskirts of uh, I think it's Wyoming. Okay. Um, and it's like this little sheriff's department there. Um, but it's it's based off of a bunch of novels. Um, the they did make some take some liberties with the TV show. Um, but uh. I mean, most of the characters from the books show up in the show at some point, and they actually adapted a couple episodes from the books early on. Hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, it's it's pretty good. I like it. I I like it a lot. So. What season are you on now? Um, I am into the Netflix season, which is which is uh, season four. Um, okay. the originally it aired on A and E. Yeah. Seasons one to three. And then A&E opted not to pick it up. And Netflix is like, well, hell, we'll give it a go. Hmm. And uh, Netflix actually renewed them for season five. So that nice. should be popping up eventually. Now, I, f- correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've heard about the show is that season one is kind of um, kind of its own. Like it has an, a story arc that flows. But then in the later seasons, does it kind of go like an episode by episode? Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Like mon- what? what I've heard in referred to as before as monster of the week with like supernatural, um, where they're kind of standalone stories each week. Is that how it works or is that wrong? Um, actually the first season, while it has kind of an overarching story, the first season, the first is probably the closest to the most standalone. Okay. And it gets, it gets more involved as you go along. Um, season three, I would not recommend skipping episodes in season three at all. Okay. Uh, because it, and especially after at the end of se- the last episode of season two, because it's it builds. I mean, even from the first season on, it builds up on what's come before, and there's a lot of it's less episodic hmm. uh, than than like the CSI shows or our most cop shows. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you get you kind of get to get into these characters' lives a bit and and the stuff that's going on with them. So that, that's that's a lot of the reason I'm watching it. But the, uh, is the characters? They're a lot of fun. Excellent, very good. Anything else this week? No. Okay. Perfect. What about you, Mark? 
Uh, well, since it's been about two weeks now, I'm not going to go through everything I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as for like first watches, I had a lazy Sunday, I guess, two weeks ago. Okay. I had never seen Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone, oh, the okay. arm wrestling movie. You haven't seen that movie? Oh, my God. I had like never seen it. my childhood. <laughs> and, you know what? For some reason, I just didn't like Stallone back when I was a kid. Just something about him just irked me. Maybe it's the crooked mouth. Maybe it's the... Rambo 3 impersonation that he's done in every movie since in the 80s. I don't know. Uh, but I'd never seen it. So I watched that. I really liked it. thought the kid was a bit of a breath at the beginning. But, you know, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone warmed his heart as he warmed mine. So I regret <laughs> not seeing this 20 years ago. Um, I'll have to check it out. I've never seen it either. It's on Netflix. Okay. It's worth it. It's, it's one of those like 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon films, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I... Obviously, I recommend that. And then it only got better and worse. Being a wrestling fan, I had never seen No Holds Barred. Okay. Holy shit, did that suck. I (laughs) hated No Holds Barred. Between Zeus's weird uh, eyebrow makeup, like it seemed like they put like a little like putty to show that he had like half an eyebrow on one side, uh, to just Hulk Hogan playing Hulk Hogan. But using the whole rip them gimmick, which just didn't work. I hated it. Um, what I did find interesting, though, is that his, uh, I guess his brother in the film is actually the actor that played uh, Rita's husband in Dexter. Okay. Which I'm like, yeah, that feels like, oh, I know who this guy is. <laughs> but I couldn't put a, like, I couldn't put a name to the to the face or mm-hmm. it just dawned on me. Yeah, that's, that's the... Uh, that's the husband that uh, Dexter kills. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, that's that's the person that Dexter uh, uh, encounters in one of the first few seasons. <laughs> uh, whoopsies. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, then I went to the theater. I did a triple feature on the 26th. Looking at my Box.com wow. account. Um, I did a triple feature. I watched The Revenant, which I'll admit, I woke up twice to my own snoring. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just didn't do anything for me. I, I like Tom Hardy. I like Leo DiCaprio. I just don't like films of that era. I eh, it just didn't do anything for me. And then I watched The Boy, which um, I have to admit, I didn't really like. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Again, without spoiling the ending, it's very yeah. similar to a uh, indie uh, New Zealand film that came out a few years ago that's on Netflix now. Does it start uh, with an H and end with a D? It sure does. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so there's oh, yeah, that. it is a little bit like that, yeah. I thought it was a lot like that. Almost to the point was like a bit of a ripoff, but how uh, <laughs> HD um, <laughs> is a much better film. Uh, I funny, uh, quirky. Um, I like the cast better. Yeah. Um, so I didn't like the boy too much. And then I did pitch, pitch the net off with The Forest, which I, out of the three films that day, I liked the most. Okay. Uh, remind me of the time when uh, Asian films were hard to get. On mm. DVD, you know, in the early 2000s. Yep. And uh, this had this really early 2000s uh, new horror Asian Japanese feel to it, which I really dug. Interesting. Um, yeah, my buddy basically talked me out of it. When uh, The guy I went to go see The Boy with, yeah. he um, he didn't like The Forest. But I really want to go see it now because you both, you both enjoyed it. And it, the trailers looked really cool. So I'm going to have to go check that out. Yeah, it's not mind-blowing in any way, shape, or form. Right. But uh, I kind of just like the vibe of it. Yeah. The Well, the acting was pretty good, but the ending was very much not what I was expecting. I mean, it's 
it was what I expected out of like uh, an Asian horror film, but mm-hmm. I up until that point they didn't really present it like that. So yeah, yeah, it, I agree. Um, and then apart from that, I, I've been like I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to too many podcasts, uh, <laughs> so I'm quite behind on them. Like and right now, I just finished my Halloween episodes of the podcast. Oh wow! And yeah. And uh, I listen to a few uh, movie podcasts like we do here. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to watch the ones that I kind of want to watch before the podcast so that the podcast doesn't spoil it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recently watched The Bridge of Spies. Okay. Uh, that's the latest um, the Steven Spielberg film right. that was apparently direct, or, uh, written by the Coen brothers, which I didn't know. I didn't uh, either. Yeah. Hmm. Very generic it was kind yeah. of boring, to be honest with you. Um, it didn't really do much for me. I wouldn't watch it again. Hmm. But what did surprise me is the next film I watched, The Last Witch Hunter. With oh, Vin okay. Diesel. I really liked it. <laughs> like, hmm. I thought it was, for what it was, no expectations. It smashed those expectations. Um, it's just too bad that uh, the film uh, failed at the box office, so there won't be any sequels. Because I would have liked to see that. And apparently the film is based off Vin Diesel's a D&D character. So this is a total <laughs> project, right? Um, Good for him. That's awesome. Yeah. So it, it bombed at the box office, but uh, it uh, scored in my heart. Yeah. You know, you're not the first person I've heard say that. And I was at Best Buy the other day and they had a steel book, which I'm a, I love steel books. Mm-hmm. And I was very close to just picking it up, but uh, I ended up putting it back. But I might have to check it out. Yeah. I I, I really liked it. I'm, I'm glad to have it. So cool. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. Apart from doing some uh, some homework, uh, yeah, that's all I've seen pretty much in the last two weeks. Excellent. Yeah, I I, I did some watching. Um, a lot of the stuff I watched, uh, you can find written reviews for on the website. Um, but Pretty Little Liars is back on, which, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, I love that show. Uh, my wife and I binged through it, I guess it was this past summer, maybe it was beginning of last year, whenever it was. And uh, it's finally back on the air live again. So that came back a few weeks ago. Um, And we're also watching um, The 100, which started about two weeks ago, I believe. And uh, so frankly, with Pretty Little Liars, it jumped five years forward. And in time, we're kind of, it was the mid-season finale for a while there. Uh, That's where we were, was the mid-season break. And so now we're back, but we jumped five seasons forward. But I'm not really sure why it jumped five years ahead because the girls are still acting like the same immature immature high schoolers that made stupid decisions five years earlier um so i don't know don't get me wrong i love the show but it's taken a little bit longer than i expected to what seems to be getting back to the exact same point we were at five years earlier with another unknown person stalking them and making their lives a living hell i mean that's fine i like that mystery but i thought for sure that the you know this past episode would really kick off the rest of the season but it was just another build-up episode i mean it was better than the past couple but i'm still waiting for the season to kind of take off and so i'm hoping that's going to be next week um the 100 on the other hand i think has been great Uh, i love that this world that they've created with this show and uh, i just cannot wait to see how it continues on here now ash i know you watched the first two seasons, but do you have to wait to watch season three until it hit net- Netflix, or are you able to watch it now? Oop, I think I lost you, Ash. I'm still helps here. If oh. I, uh, helps if I unmute. Unmute. Oh, um, there we are. Okay. Yeah. No. Um. 
I I'm able to watch the new season, but um I yeah I've been busy. Okay, uh, so, you so I have so, yeah. I just haven't watched it yet. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on it once you uh, once you do get to it. But I just I don't know I really like that show. I'm surprised how much I like it. I mean, it's a show on CW, which I mean I don't expect much from that, but it's really delivering. Um, so I've also been playing uh, some Madden. I started a new speedy quarterback on Madden 16, and I'm already the starter of the Eagles, which frankly wasn't too difficult to beat out Sam Bradford, but um, it's been fun. And then uh, like for movies, I said, I've been, I think I reviewed everything that I watched these past couple weeks. Um, the Boy, Robert the Doll, Contracted, and It Follows. Um, and except for Robert the Doll, I liked all the films, <laughs> as you can see from my reviews. And I was, when I rented Robert the Doll, because it came up in my red box, I set a reminder for it. I was hoping that it was the Asylum mockbuster of the boy, because, you know, I love the Asylum, but it definitely wasn't. It was not nearly as fun as the Asylum film would have been. Uh, instead, it was just a big old disappointment, but. Definitely check out Cinefessions.com. You can read my reviews on all of those. Um, Ash, you actually reviewed Contracted Phase 2, which is what made me go in and, and watch Contracted. I haven't watched the sequel yet, but I uh, I liked I liked Contracted. I thought it was really well done. So I'm interested to see where it goes from there. And so I guess that's it for my fun the past couple of weeks. I watched the Royal Rumble also, oh, yes. which I was a little disappointed that AJ Styles didn't get further. But I think they're gonna I think they're gonna push him pretty well. Kind of seem feels that way anyway. He hasn't uh, hasn't lost yet, so we'll see how that goes. But I really it. thought that Jericho had a chance to win. I, <laughs> For some stupid reason, I, I'm like they might do a full swerve, man, and give Jericho the belt, and I would have marked out hard for that. I it felt like it there for a while. Um, I don't know. I don't think I would have liked it, but it would have been at least more interesting than what everybody uh, at least at my party knew was going to happen that yeah. once Triple H hit the ring, he was going to win it, which is fucking annoying as hell. But, uh, I don't know. I, I love the main event they have set for fast lane, the triple threat between Lesnar, Ambrose and, uh, Reigns. I think that sh should be an excellent match regardless of the outcome. Uh, yeah, we're that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we're actually going to the, the raw after fast lane is is at the Joe Louis arena in Detroit. Oh, cool. And so uh, we're my friends and I and my wife are going to that. And so I'm really excited. One thing that kind of uh, worries me is that they say Brock Lesnar is going to be there. And then they say that there's going to be a tag match with Ambrose and Reigns teaming up against whoever. And so that kind of leads me to think that Lesnar is going to win because that would, you know, he would stand out from the crowd. If, if one of the other two were going to main event WrestleMania, why are they yeah. in a tag match when Lesnar isn't? Um, so I don't know. That might be a spoiler in the marketing. Obviously, that's just local marketing because they're trying to get people to buy tickets to the event. But yeah, and card is always subject to change. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Exactly mm -hmm. right. So it'll be interesting. We'll see. Uh, well, hopefully they've got some good merch for you because uh, at the NXT show, yeah. they had very little merch. I really wanted a ready, willing, and gable towel. Oh, okay. And then we're seen. I don't yeah. even know if they actually even sell them, but I, I really wanted one. I've not seen those. My buddy and I are really hoping that they get the AJ Styles shirts back in stock by the time they come to Raw. Okay. And so that's what we're that's what we're shooting for is the Styles shirts. I'm going to check on WWE Shop, see if I can pick it up beforehand, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I, we've heard that it's out of stock until like the middle of February already. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, been pretty popular, it sounds like. Um, 
All right. So I guess that's that for our week in media. Um, yeah. So as most of you surely know, uh, today's episode is the start of the Tarantino-thon. And the next nine podcast episodes are going to be dedicated to reviewing through Tarantino's directorial filmography. So we're splitting Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 into two separate episodes, but we're only doing that because we're also reviewing an episode of Black Mirror along with this Tarantino-thon, and there happens to be nine episodes of that series. And so to keep everything nice and neat and kosher, we're just going to stretch the eight directed films of Tarantino into nine, and it kind of works out well that way because Kill Bill you can easily split up, so... We understand that it's eight films in his filmography, but we are doing nine episodes just for the sake of uh, keeping things neat. And so we can finish this arc and move on to something else entirely. So before we dive in, I just want to suggest to everyone, highly suggest that you watch these films before you're listening to these podcasts, because there's going to be spoilers everywhere. Um, they're all older films with the exception of The Hateful Eight, obviously. And and most are available streaming or can be picked up cheap on Blu-ray and DVD. So there's a lot of ways to watch these. So if you don't want anything spoiled, make sure you skip, at least skip the review portion of the podcast. And then when we get to Black Mirror, those episodes are all streaming on Netflix, which everybody and their grandmother has Netflix. So make sure you watch those before we talk up before you listen to us because again there will be spoilers for everything on here yeah and regarding black mirror uh they're yes. not available on netflix canada oh okay uh, to all our canadian listeners they are available on show me which is a streaming app in canada oh okay hmm. excellent yeah i've never heard of that it must be yeah it's a canadian thing okay very good that's good to know you know i was reading something about netflix they were talking about i don't know if this affects you but like the limiting the what is it the vpn or something i don't know i'm not very tech savvy in that sense yeah it, it, w- it would affect me if they actually do it okay but uh, they haven't done it yet no not as they okay. i saw uh, access to u.s netflix and netflix is all over the world mm-hmm. allegedly um <laughs> but uh yeah at the same time you know i think if they do limit it in a way it's going to save me about an hour a day on what to watch right? <laughs> because my, my selections will be a little more limited. Okay. But uh, I don't think Canadian Netflix is as bad as people say it is. There's less TV, uh, TV programming, but uh, at least there's less good TV programming. Yeah. But there's tons of fantastic films. Interesting. So yeah, it's, you know, it would suck if it happened, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm not going to cry over it. If okay. it does. Good. I like to hear that. I don't want to, I don't want to see a cry. Oh, no, so I don't like makes me happy. My mascara just runs. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. Yeah, you laugh about that. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's jump in here. So the first film on Tarantino's list, his directorial debut, it caused quite a stir, is Reservoir Dogs. Now, Reservoir Dogs is from 1992, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, of course. And actually, um, his writing partner, who will kind of write the story with him, at least for Pulp Fiction, Roger Avery. He wrote the the radio dialogue that plays in the background, that radio station, with the the radio DJ host who sounds like he's dying and just doesn't want to be there, which I thought was funny. But That would be um, the comedian. Uh, the guy who, do, who does his voice is actually a really, really funny comedian. Okay. Uh, it's it's does, Stephen Wright. Yeah, Stephen Wright. He does all of his comedian, all of his stand-up performances exactly the same way. Oh, yeah. okay. That's exactly yeah. what he sounds like. Uh, his deadpan, <laughs> drawl voice. Yeah, he's fantastic. Interesting. I didn't realize that. So, great. Um, it has an 8.4 rating on IMDb and a Metascore of 78. So, again, there will be spoilers for Reservoir Dogs. So, proceed at your or with that warning in mind. 
All right, so let me give you a quick synopsis, very quick. A group of career criminals are brought together to pull off a diamond heist. And during this heist, things turn south and the remaining survivors think that there's a rat amongst them that tipped off the police. And so basically, we're trying to figure out uh, what next. Who's the rat and uh, how do we get out of this terrible situation? That's essentially what the entire film is. So before we talk actually about the film, let's talk about our history with the film. Um, I'll start. My history with the film, I watched Reservoir Dogs once in the past when I was first kind of diving, you know, just getting into film pretty hardcore. And I was starting to collect DVDs at the time. And I picked up Reservoir Dogs on DVD. And uh, I put it on and I fell asleep and kind of missed the vast majority of it and um, was never, never inspired to go back to it again. Um, and so that's kind of where I sit with the film coming into watching it for the first time for this podcast. Um, what about you, Ash? What, what is your kind of background with Reservoir Dogs? First time I watched Reservoir Dogs uh, was back in 95 or 96. Okay. Um, and my gaming buddies realized that I loved Pulp Fiction and had never seen Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And so they decided to correct that at three in the morning on one Saturday night uh, <laughs> by taking over the college lounge uh, with the film. And it started off with like six of us. And by the time the movie was done, there was probably about 40 people in there watching it with us. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's a pretty yeah, so damn that's, memorable first experience with the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. So, yeah, I've I've loved that movie. Um I don't love it as much as Pulp Fiction because Pulp Fiction was my first real Tarantino exposure. Mine too. But I, I, I love the heist setup and everything around it. That's just, it's a good setup. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. Dialogue is great. Awesome. And what about you, Mark? What's your history with it? Yeah, I first saw it uh, when I had uh, one of those gray market DirecTV satellite dishes uh, back in the mid to late 90s. Okay. Um, so this was probably oof, 97 or so. I saw a late night viewing of it on Cinemax. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I fell in love with it. This was exactly <laughs> up my alley. Yeah, I was still, I didn't know much about indie films at the time. I was just force fed everything that was in the theaters. Mm -hmm. um, and this is all pre Sundance before it got really big. Yeah. Um, so this flew under the radar until uh, I'm not, again. I'm not sure if I saw Pulp Fiction first or not. Mm -hmm. I, I assume I did. Mm -hmm. um, but I also saw that you know years later too. But uh, yeah, no. Um, I, uh, I I caught this late one night, not really knowing what it was, and uh, it just rocked my socks off. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what I saw because it was yeah. so new and groundbreaking for me, at least at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just so cool. It's such a cool film, but Absolutely. we'll get into that, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, groundbreaking is, is such an important term, I think, when when talking about it, because now obviously. I watched the film recently. I mean, the first time I watched it was probably just, a, I don't even know, maybe less than 10 years ago. And so I'm used to seeing things like, you know, the Kevin Smith films, the Clerks was, you know, a favorite of mine. Um, these, these indie films that have been built up over time as, you know, cult classics and cult favorites. And uh, so I... It's I can't go back to 1992 and, and and live this for the first time. You know what I mean? I've seen the the movies that have that were influenced by this already, um, but even having that you know aspect of it, that um, viewpoint with it, it's still just a remarkable film, and I think a really remarkable achievement. Frankly, uh, I mean, this is his first 
feature film. I mean, it, that's something to just to, to marvel at, I think. Um, so right from the beginning, um, all I could think about in this opening scene was how influenced Tarantino is by the the movies that came before. Obviously, you know, he's, he's a big Western fan. Um, and he's also influenced by a lot of, um, uh, French new wave cinema as well. And in this opening scene, that's all I could kept thinking about was, was the French new wave. We see more of the backs of people than the faces of those talking in the very opening moments there. And I mean, very strong choice and one that I really enjoyed. Um, and obviously this opening scene's, uh, pretty important in terms of, you know, just cinema history. And some people say that, that the film doesn't get better than this opening scene. I disagree with that, but I think this opening scene's excellent. What, what were you guys' thoughts on this opener here? Um, Ash or Mark, doesn't matter, whoever. Well, I thought that the opening scene was very intimate because you're so close to the guides. It's almost like you're sitting at the table with them. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get to see who these characters are before they go into tough guy roles, you know, mm-hmm. before they go into the, into the, like, this is happening right before they're going to go and do the heist. You know, they're all dressed up in their suits. It's like a pre, uh, pre meal, um, get together before they do what they need to do. Um, so it just shows them that, you know, they could be, you know, uh, cold blooded killers, but at the same time, they have more of a human side to them, you know? Um, so I, I think that first episode really, uh, shows, or at least as a viewer, it, uh, makes you pick your favorite early on mm-hmm. no it's like this is the guy i'm rooting for this is the guy i relate to the most so that's how i think it really uh in this movie ensnares you by uh making you believe or feel like you're actually there at the table with them yeah absolutely and the the jump because frankly when i watched this uh, last night i didn't remember virtually any of it i mean i was shocked at the the twists of the film if you want to call them that the reveals of the film and uh, just because I didn't remember any of it, I, I probably slept through 90% of it the first time. Not because it was I didn't like it, just because I was tired. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was shocked by a lot of things here. And the the stark contrast from that opening scene where we're getting to know these people, we immediately have so much information about these people. It's small things, like the fact that Mr. Pink doesn't tip. And he goes on this rant about not tipping. Um, and then um, uh, Mr. Brown, Tarantino's character goes on about, you know, what, what the lyrics in like a virgin mean Madonna song. I mean, small tidbits that really help establish these characters. And they're so interesting. And then, Oh, wait, wait, I have a bit of trivia for this. Good. Madonna thought Tarantino was so off on what like a virgin is that she actually contacted him directly (laughs) to explain to him what like a virgin was all about. That's awesome. Oh man. That's really funny. Um, so the from this this jovial this joking around scene, you know, they're all being friendly. To immediately the next shot, well, you have them with the walking through the streets, but then the next real shot is uh, Mr. Orange, Tim Roth, in the back seat of the car, bleeding to death with with Mr. White driving him. I mean, just wow, what a what a jump from one to the next, and it's just you're off and running, which is really interesting. Because you're off and running, but then you kind of stop. But even though there's all this dialogue, I just felt like the 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 motor in this movie is never slowing down once yeah. that scene hits, and I I love that about it. It's always moving forward. Yeah, I mean, maybe the film is just a little dated. But going back to the opening scene mm-hmm. and the whole tipping thing, who just tips a buck? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's ninety two. So I mean. 
But What's even, that? Even in 92, I'm like, <laughs> a buck? <laughs> Whatever, man. Uh, you know, it depends I, on where they were eating. If it was a cheap place, that would have been probably, depending on what they ate, that could have been close. Maybe, but I'm like, I'm usually 15 to 20%, you know? But something, a dollar. I'm like, well, what, wow. what does nice guy say? He's like, because he was like, what do you want him to do? Give you a hand job or a blow? I don't know, whatever the hell he said. And yeah. this nice guy, he goes, well, I'd give 12% for that or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, like, you're talking If I get bad service, I give 12%. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I just tip too much. You right. know, us Canadians are just so nice, eh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like the A at the end. That was perfect. <laughs> I, I do have a bit of another bit of trivia for this, and I only found this out when we were rewatching it because I saw it on IMDb. Okay. The opening sequence uh, opens with little the the walking sequence in slow mo opens with little green bag. Originally, they were going to have Pink Floyd's "Money" playing in the background. Oh. Um, okay. And I actually went on YouTube because I was like, someone on YouTube has to have done that. Right. Right. And they had. They're, they redid the opening sequence. It's the exact same opening visuals, but they put money over the top of it instead of Little Green Bag. And I'm glad he went with Little Green Bag because mm-hmm. while money kind of fits, Little Green Bag fits the tone of the film more than money does. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. I'll have to it, check that out. That's interesting. And one more quick tidbit as well, because yeah. I watched the movie twice, once just to re-familiarize myself with it. Mm-hmm. And then again, because I had a pop-up commentary track. Oh, okay. So yeah, I saw that on my yeah. yeah, it's dated. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the 15-year anniversary one. It's the Blu-ray with the red cover. Yep. And, oh boy, some of those tidbits are really bad. But <laughs> if you think about it, you know, Tarantino's ranting about like, uh, about, about like a virgin. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris Penn is at the table. Chris Penn's brother is Sean Penn, and Sean Penn was married to Madonna. This is true. Yeah. Okay. I and forgot then, about that one. <laughs> exactly. And then Kevin Bacon. So it's like there's so many degrees to it. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so it just it was kind of funny that, you know, they're kind of ranting over Madonna's song and like, you know, oh, that was my sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Yes. So from this this opening scene, we get, like I mentioned, the um, driving through the car and then they finally arrive at this this warehouse that we're going to spend the the vast majority of the film in and i don't know what it was about mr well first off let me make note that it's i i love that we instantly in the first scene we kind of see tarantino's mainstays you know we have um Ky- uh, harvey Keitel, tim roth uh buscemi madsen i mean just all these people that we're going to see in future tarantino films uh, that play major roles in his films as well. And so, I mean, he gets his his group of friends together right from the get-go, you know, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, they were pretty young looking. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, boy. <laughs> 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 Definitely. Michael Madsen hit me the most how young he looked. Yeah, I could be late. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, you know. So, um, all right. And so, and I just wrote down that, you know, that, that, immediate contrast that we already talked about but then i love the fact what a bold choice he's going to he chooses to skip all of the action like the traditional action that you would see in something like this he chooses just to skip all over that at this point i mean what a bold choice and it and i think it works out for him now obviously we did get we do get flashbacks to it later on in the film but i thought that was we never see it in its entirety at all exactly nope There is no action from within the actual heist. It's mm-hmm. all either pre or post. Right. Yeah. We don't even go in the store. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's them fleeing the scene instead of actually doing the job. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So 
one of the lines here, and I think it's pretty telling. Um, so Buscemi, he's like, or uh, yeah, I think Buscemi, uh, Mr. Pink goes, did you kill anybody? And Mr. White says, just a few cops. And Pink says, no real people. And yeah. It's just cops. It's like, wow. It's just such a uh, stark and uh, sterile look at cops and robbers, you know? And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, they're really not nice guys. Exactly. You know? Like, it's a complete opposite of what we just saw at the dinner table. Yeah. You know, at the restaurant. So, well, there's it puts a, in perspective. There's a, yeah, there's a great conversation between um, Harvey Keitel's character and uh, Tim Roth's character later on uh, when they're talking about what goes, what's going to go down in the store. That's That sets it up perfectly. It's like, yeah, these guys are really not nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we're over. He's talking about, you know, if... If it's the manager, then you got to like cut off his fingers or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was an excellent scene. And I think that the relationship that they develop between white and Mr. White and Mr. Orange, um, it's so important because it's it's going to kind of uh, conclude the film. And I think they did a really good job with it, even though a lot of it's in flashback and, uh, you know, we get those opening moments with those with those two men, and you know, from an outsider who doesn't know, it kind of looks like they're you know best friends when they're driving in the car together. But then, obviously, later on, we found out that they they just recently met, and so I think that's uh, really well done on Tarantino's part. You know, especially the writing and just yeah, the way. I, Go ahead. I was thinking it was uh, more like father son. Yeah, yeah. So it was almost like a father son dynamic, even though they're they were you know they're new to each other. They don't know each other's like names until Mister White says it to Mister Orange later on. But yeah. it just felt almost like very paternal, you know, I, taking him under his wing type of thing. Yeah, I definitely got that later on as it as it continued, and I think that is definitely the vibe I you know I get at the end of the film. Yeah, because he has to have. What I mean, this the justification that's needed for the actor to pull those last moments off. I think that's you know, it's like the, the complete betrayal. It's like an Itsu Brute moment, you know? right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, great, uh, great reference there. I gotta love, gotta love Shakespeare references. Two points. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a couple shots in this film that are just stunning, and 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 one. I guess two that I'll never forget, but the first one comes kind of early on here is, is pink on the ground with white holding his gun up at white and white holding his gun down at him kind of in that standoff. I mean, it obviously it's an iconic shot now. Um, you know, it's on, it's on posters and whatnot, but wow, what just fucking brilliant. And then as they're, um, uh, fucking each other, the, the cameras kind of pans, pans back, pulls back. To see Mr. Blonde there staring at them. I mean, what just yeah. a brilliant fucking moment. I mean, I yeah. love that. Yeah, that was a, that was a very cool uh, scene, a very nice reveal. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like uh, they're, they're so into the situation that uh, they have blinders on. Right. And they don't really see the big picture. And you see, you know, uh, Mr. Blonde actually seeing the whole thing and not saying a word. <laughs> the um, A few, minute, few moments later... The Tarantino trunk shot is born, which is a shot I love mm-hmm. from inside the trunk looking up. I mean, it's just such an awesome shot. And we'll see it in many of his films moving forward. Uh, it, do, I, I don't, we might even see it in all of them. I don't recall offhand, but I know it's uh, definitely a, a Tarantino trademark type of shot. And uh, what's in the trunk, obviously, is is the cop, which 
I think it's easy to underestimate the the job that um, the the cop did. His name is Kirk Baltz, um, but man, he was he was really excellent in that uh, that torture scene. I guess Madsen is just so convincing as this just I don't even know psychopath. What you call him. Yeah, He's a yeah, psychopath. That's right. He is because he enjoyed what he was doing. Is, yeah, the funny thing is with that Madsen doesn't like violence. <laughs> like he had a really, really hard time with this scene. Wow. Um, at one point, the cop ad libs, "I have a wife and daughter at home." Yeah. And if you, depending on which version of the film you're watching, you can actually hear Tarantino in the background going, "Oh no, no, no!" <laughs> really? Because wow. yeah, because he's afraid Matson's going to break and not be able to finish the scene. Oh wow! Well, funny you say that because according to the pop up track <laughs> that I watched, <laughs> um, he did have trouble doing the scene at the end because the line was ad libbed and it. Took him, uh, took him for a turn because he had a young child, uh, I guess, at the time of filming. Um, so I didn't hear Tarantino in my version of the film, but uh, apparently, yeah, uh, Mr. Or, uh, Madsen, he did uh, have trouble finishing that scene. Hmm. Yeah, it's on the Netflix version uh, because that's the oh, one I watched. But yeah, oh, I, yeah, I heard that. it on the Netflix one I was listening out for it. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. I know. I definitely want to check that out. That's interesting. Um, the... Well, uh, What's so amazing is, yes, this movie is ultra-violent, yeah. You know, we've seen a lot worse since then, obviously. Um, but for its time, that was one of the the things that was it was kind of noted for, was its violence. Um, but what I think is most fascinating is that with the torture scene there, where he walks up to him with the razor and cuts his ear off, the camera pans up. And you see the the ceiling and you see on the background, it says it's like a watch your head is what it says on the yeah. background over the, the on the wall. On the entryway. Yeah, the entryway. And then it comes back and his ear's gone. I mean, it doesn't even show you cutting the ear off, which I think is fascinating. But yet I still, uh, you know, squirmed at that moment because it was just so brutal, regardless of the fact that I didn't see it. That's the thing. See, I don't think the film is ultra violent mm -hmm. just because most of the violence is up to the viewer's discretion. What they yeah. think they're seeing, what you hear it, you don't see anything. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you're picturing the worst of the worst in your mind, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a violent film. I don't know if it's ultra violent just because it's not on camera. There are no close ups to any gore or anything like that. Right. Um, so yeah, it is violence, but I think it's all implied violence. Mm hmm. You know, it's all up to the eye of the beholder. And it's kind of uh, stark, uh, not, uh, shocking Ooh. violence, quick, unexpected violence. Yeah. Because as he's pouring this gas on him, and, and I, <laughs> again, I'm squirming because I don't want this to happen, but it just feels so inevitable. And then all of a sudden, shots ring out out of fucking nowhere, yeah. and Mr. Orange blows him away. I was like... Oh, I jumped because I was so startled by the shots. See, but, and the way the what I was feeling at the time of that scene is that okay, he's getting gas poured on him with open wounds. Oh, that's going to burn. I thought I was. I was exactly, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm thinking, oh, that's going to sting. That sucks for this guy. Yeah, his his ear is gone. Like that's yeah. going to hurt so much. That's going to go in the canal. <laughs> right, man. And so obviously we find out that Orange, Mr. Orange, um, is is the is the cop. And uh, I was surprised. I didn't expect it. But the then we kind of meet Mr. Orange. And his flashback was such an awesome scene. It was pretty long for a flashback scene. Yeah. But I thought it was great. And I mean, it, is, and, and the, it just so plays into Tarantino's nonlinear filmmaking, which obviously we're going to hit he, you know, head on in Pulp Fiction. 
but he plays with it here a little bit. You know, these are flashbacks, but they're flash. They're so long that they kind of feel like just scenes in the film as opposed to, oh, you know, we're, we're going back in time now. And so I, I thought that was interesting. Well, it's kind of like how Tarantino does his chapters on his movies. Yeah. These are chapters, but without any title cards, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Good way to, good way of putting that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what, one thing, probably my favorite part of meeting Mr. Orange was the, um, the acting lesson that he gets from his, I don't know if it was the sheriff, whatever that was, the detective, his, his crime fighting buddy, whoever the hell it was. Hold away. Okay. Uh, that's a uh, Randy story. Brooks. The story is classic. Yeah. The commode. I mean, man. Just awesome. And and I mean, it's such a great acting lesson because it just felt like a, a lesson that I've received in my classes in the past. You know what I mean? Just picturing everything, living in the moment, you know, knowing these small details because they help make the story real. And it's true. And so I thought that was just excellent. I thought that was such a cool moment, such a cool scene. And the way that, you know, he starts off by reading off the page mm-hmm. to the end where he's actually telling the story real time to the guys. It was a cool like montage of time. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I really dug that. <laughs> uh, there's so much. There's so much to like. Um, I have. I, I don't think I wrote down anything negative, frankly, um, that I can look at here and see. I did. Okay, I'm going to be very interested to hear those. Hear I that. I got the under the what bug me segment. Okay. So, Kaitel and Roth or Mr. White and Mr. Orange they arrive to the uh, to the uh, rendezvous point. Mm-hmm. Which is, if you look at it, and again, according to the pop-up trio track, it was made to be uh, like an old mortuary. Oh, is what you what you see? Caskets in the background. Yeah, well, it was caskets in the packaging, and like when you see Mr. Blonde for the first time, he's sitting on a hearse. When you it's see her for the first time, Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde. When, yeah, yeah oh, that that reveal scene. He's not sitting on any crates. He's sitting on a hearse that's like wrapped in plastic, like oh, it's wow. being stored or something. I didn't notice that. Yeah, but back to what bugged me. Uh, when he first arrived there and he's checking him out and he's bleeding, and I have to admit, this is probably the most painful looking gunshot <laughs> wound I've seen ever in cinema. <laughs> like, he's wet, he's mm-hmm. red, it's leaky, like, right? Ugh, right? Um, but why didn't uh, Mr. White put any pressure on the wound? That that's a yeah. like he told him you know I can't do anything for you well yeah why don't you put some pressure on the wound yeah. <laughs> or instead of like wiping his forehead put that bandage on his stomach yeah. I don't know that's like my one like critique and that's like me really nitpicking right right I'm like yeah put some pressure there it might it might stop the bleeding you know he goes on the I like how he goes on the on the drive there he's making him say hey you know tell me tell me you're not a doctor you're not a doctor are you? you're not a doctor are you it's yeah. so uh, he just didn't want to play doctor that's all. The first thing you do is you always check the rectal temperature. (laughs) And obviously, Mr. White did not do that. So that's bad procedure. Yeah, it's bad form. I got I got little bits of trivia off of this one again. Um the uh Mr. Um Mr. White or not not Mr. White. Uh who is Tim Roth playing again? Mr. Orange. Mr. Orange. Uh Mr. Orange was on the pan on that flat board for so long at one point during takes there was so much fake blood there that he was actually stuck to the floor at one point <laughs> yeah i could i could believe that man when he wakes up after he kills when he kills mr blonde mm. <laughs> there's just so much blood he was like 
moving around in it, and that's what made me notice how much fucking blood there was on the ground. I was like, holy and shit, this guy's gonna his die. His face is so pale. Mm-hmm. Like, it worked really well. Right. They actually did have a paramedic on scene to, because Tarantino wanted, you know, I, I need to know the, how much blood this would actually be giving oh, off. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was I don't know if he was a very good paramedic, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he should have been dead a lot sooner in the film, I think, because <laughs> by the end there, it's like, it's all tricking towards a drain, and uh, th- yeah, I could swim in that. <laughs> Wouldn't want to, but it could. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another funny tidbit, mm-hmm. while we're on the point of tidbits. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, I guess, costumes that they're wearing. Yeah. It's all their own personal wardrobe. I oh, guess it could cost of production. Um, so all the suits they wear are those suits. Um, Chris Penn actually owned that uh, windbreaker. That's, <laughs> right? That's awesome. And apparently oh. after the fact, is very embarrassed by it because <laughs> it's such an ugly windbreaker. Wow. You know what? I haven't seen Chris Penn in, I, I, in other movies since then. What else is he in? I'm sure he is. It's just my ignorance. What other films is he in that are big ones? Well, a big awesome one, which I think we should cover someday. Um, Mr. Blue. Edward Bunker and him are in the same film, Best of the Best, Part 2. Do you know that uh, series at all? 80s underground fighting series with Eric Roberts. Um, It was with uh, Chris Penn. And I forget who the third uh, member of their team is. But it was like a karate underground fighting film. And there's like, I think, three in the series. Okay. And uh, yeah, those were, I haven't watched those in probably a decade, but I remember <laughs> them being fun. Like Eric Roberts, kick, uh, you know, uh, kickboxing. Awesome. Um, Sean Penn being the all American wrestler because he's so big, wears like the cowboy hat. And <laughs> yeah, really badass. That's interesting. Yeah, I've never heard about it. I'll definitely have to check those out. Oh, yeah. Good podcast uh, material for the future. Great fodder. That's awesome. As for the films, I actually have to check MDB because I, off the top of my head, I can't think of it anymore. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. I was just curious if anyone remembered any because I just didn't recognize. I thought he was well, great in this. He, he was in Footloose. Maybe he oh. plays uh, uh, Kevin Bacon's best friend in this in the movie. Okay. I honestly don't remember. I, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Not a big uh, Footloose fan. Honestly. Bridget watches it every once in a while. But, okay, uh, I have to hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> Who does like Footloose? I don't Not the remake. Uh, but the original. I don't like dirty oh. dancing either. Is that going to offend you? Oh, for that, you? that offends me. Everybody <laughs> dirty dancing. Oh, I, I can forgive you, Footloose. But <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody puts baby in a corner. Right. I love that line. But except for Chris Penn. Chris Penn could. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that we get Tarantino in the very opening of the film, and then he just he's one of the the two who die mr brown and uh what mr blue right yep they're they're both gone after that opening shot there which mm, makes... well actually you do see him in the uh montage where they're talking about uh you know oh, d- yeah. doing the heist right yep you're right and you do see uh, mr uh, brown as well because he's the one who crashes the car which makes uh, Kaitel and uh roth to get another car where roth then gets shot Oh, I thought that was. Oh, you said Mr. Brown. That, yes, uh, okay. Tarantino. Yeah, Tarantino. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Where else was um, Blue? Just he in the, show up again. Yeah, just in the uh, in the like preparing for the heist when they're like uh, in front of uh, Joe and Joe's pissed off because they're talking and laughing. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So that's the only other scene. Okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. Um. So the 
ending to this film, I was just blown away. I mean, I, I don't, it's one of these endings that I'm never going to forget this. I, I thought it was just wonderful. The, the three of them in the showdown, um, and then all of a sudden the guns go off. And now, which I'll ask a question about that in a second. Um, but then the aftermath is, you know, um, Mr. White's not dead. He's clearly been shot. And then I don't understand. Orange tells him he's a cop. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know why he would do that. No, I mean, I just, it feels like if you're going to do that, you know that you're going to die. And maybe that's what it was. Um, but I don't know. But the, these last few moments were just so damn tense. And then finally, the fucking cops come in. I, I mean, I just didn't understand why it took them so long. They were a block away. And they said, once Joe comes in, they're going to swarm the place. But they took fucking oh, like two or three minutes. And I thought that was ridiculous. But so uh, who shot? Who shot nice guy Eddie? Um, nobody, actually. <laughs> uh, the squib maybe. went off early, uh, so he had to drop because they couldn't really do review the scene. Oh, really? That yeah. yeah, I read. I did that. not know that. But I'm trying to. So literally, what happened is that what happened in the world of the film, though, because obviously he's dead, so something had to have shot shot him. What do you guys think killed him? Well, that's that's a very good question because I was asking myself the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, the way I saw it is that Mr. White was able to pull off two shots, even though you didn't you didn't hear two shots, or maybe it was a ricochet. I don't know. Maybe he shot himself. Maybe he aimed too low, it hit the cement, and bounced back into his face. I honestly don't know because you know I'm watching that and I'm like, okay, well he's pointed there, he's pointed there. Mm-hmm. Somebody should remain standing, and uh, yeah, they all fall at the same time. What I thought. When I watched it, I didn't think any much of it because I thought it was Mr. Pink because he climbs out of the like underneath the ramp. He cut in his guns out, which made me think that it was him. Oh, uh, yeah. but Mr. Pink wouldn't do that. He's a professional. I know. I love that. He, I, <laughs> fuck. I didn't even mention how Am great I the only fucking professional around here. <laughs> he's such a great I fucking love him and everything. And I think he's so awesome. Yeah. And he just kept going on and on about being the, the only professional there. I thought it was hilarious. And honestly, he was. I, absolutely. <laughs> you know? And he was not he's lying. He's the only one. Yeah, he's the only one out of the entire heist that survives. Yep. I don't think he does. I don't think so dialogue, either. He gets shot by the cops, but they have him getting arrested outside so he actually lived. Oh, really? I didn't hear yes. that. Because I thought because I heard the shooting that it was done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you, you hear him get shot, but then they're like, put your arms behind your back. Oh, I have to watch that again. It's oh. interesting. Yeah, or something along those lines. But he's getting arrested before they come in. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely need to rewatch that ending to take a look at both those things. Yeah, I thought he. I thought he was like. I thought nobody survived. So I assumed Mr. Pink was dead with that shootout before they stormed the building. Right. That was my thought as well. And maybe that. And obviously, obviously, that's why it took so long for the cops to storm the buildings because they were dealing with Mr. Pink, who was trying to get away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's. Definitely something to uh, to take a look, closer look at. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But so kind of my overall thoughts on this. I thought this was just incredible. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I, I'm upset at myself that I didn't, you know, kind of get this feeling the first time I watched it because I wasn't paying attention. You know, I fell asleep. And so I'm glad that we went through this because I uh, it's just one of these films that. You know, I, I'm certain that I'm going to watch a lot now 
that I've seen at this time. It's it's just excellent. I think it's such a wonderful film. Uh, the writing is so solid. Uh, it's just man, Tarantino can write a script, which is uh, something that we're gonna, I'm sure I'm going to uh, repeat a lot throughout these next nine podcasts. But um, yeah, so I, I give Reservoir Dogs uh, four out of four stars. Um, what about uh, you, Ash? What are your final thoughts on Reservoir Dogs? Well, I love Reservoir Dogs. It's one of my favorite films from Tarantino. Uh, I I love the heist film. I mean, it was, I mean, it's just, it's a really influential film. Um, they do a lot with it. I love the cast. Uh, I love that he took so many chances with it. You know, he didn't have a big budget to do a lot with it, but he took all that chances with it. Mm-hmm. And and I absolutely love the film. Um, so I I give it four out of four. Excellent. And what about you, Mark? Uh, this is tough, just because it's an amazing film. But if we look at the overview of all his films, it's probably one of my least favorite, just okay. because all his other films were so strong. Yeah. Um. So uh, <laughs> as much as I want to give it four out of four because it's badass, it's awesome, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can just because it's not my favorite of his. So just so that, you know, I don't give all his movies, you know, 100%. <laughs> right. I'm going to give this one. Oh, man. It's only four stars, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to give it three. Okay. And three is still strong. And, and like, his library is strong. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so even three out of four is fucking, it's fucking awesome. Um but yeah, I can't give it four just because the next films we we view, I I, I would give it those fours, you know. Yeah. So just for perspective's sake here, I'm gonna give this a three. Um, I just because I don't want to give it two and a half because it's much better than two and a half rating. Mm-hmm. But you know, bad Tarantino is still better than ninety percent of what's out there. Right. So I'm gonna give it a three. Okay. But uh, just just because of what's coming up in the upcoming weeks. You know, it's hard for me to give a four to everything. Yeah, you know, I'm probably, you know, I have no qualms with giving fours to everything. I'm just, oh, you get a four, you get a four, everybody gets a four. <laughs> hey. We'll see. We'll see, though, because I, like I said, there's a number that I haven't even seen yet. So, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. So any other um, any other thoughts from anybody on or any bits of trivia, which I love, you know, we're, I'm sure you're you're blowing somebody's mind with that trivia. And usually it's mine. So uh, any other bits of trivia you guys want to share about this or any other thoughts before we move on to Black Mirror? I do. Uh, okay, excellent. Go for so it. So when the uh, when Mister Blonde is uh, is uh, torturing the cop and they're listening to uh, "Stuck in the Middle with You," oh yeah, alternate track that they were thinking for that scene, "Bong Blitz" by Sweet. <laughs> you know the uh, the fil- the song from uh, Wind's World. Yeah, yeah. I wow. can't see "Bong Blitz" working whatsoever. It's too fast paced. Right, right. You know. Um, huh. especially when Mr. Bond is, is kind of, was dancing to that song. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't see him going a little faster for Baldwin Blitz. Um, so th- I found that really interesting that I had no idea. Um, hmm. as well, you know, everybody talks about how all Tarantino's films are part of the same universe. Oh, okay. Something I didn't catch was when, uh, Mr. White is speaking with Joe when Joe was offering him the job. Uh-huh. And he asked about uh, Bama. I think it's either Bama or Alabama. That's a yes. reference to Patricia Arquette's character in True Romance. Yes, it is. Which I had no idea. It didn't even dawn on me. So, uh-huh. yeah, right? 
So yeah, so Bama, uh, so how they talk about uh, him and Bama worked some uh, jobs together, and then uh, she moved on. Yeah, it's it's British Arquette's character from a uh, true romance. I had no clue. That's very interesting, right? Yeah, they were actually. Um, Tarantino was thinking about doing like a prequel set with Patricia Arquette and um, huh. and uh, Mr. White, basically. Uh, but uh, because of the way they ended True Romance, because uh, he wasn't involved with it, they changed the ending for True Romance. He decided not to do it that way. Hmm. Very cool. See? I told you the mind you'd be blowing is mine. Yeah, I, I could go on for probably a good four or five minutes still, but yeah, it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> That's really cool. Very good. Excellent. So that is our first Tarantino film of the Tarantino-thon, and I am excited to move on to the next one because, spoiler alert, it is one of my favorites. So, All right, so let's move on to Black Mirror, season one, episode one. Now, Black Mirror is available on Netflix. Uh, but not Netflix Canada. But remind uh, the Canadian listeners where they can watch Black Mirror. Part. It's on Show Me. Show S- Me. S H O M I dot com. Okay. Which just came out with the PS4 app, and that's the reason why I got it. Perfect. Um, no Roku app, but it's on your PS4 and Xbox Ones. Excellent. Good. So this is actually a listener request. And so there's another reason that we want to hear from you because we'd love to hear about what you want us to talk about. And so this is a listener request from Brent. He's been asking about it for a while now. And so I am excited to dive into it just from what he has been saying about it. And so season one, episode one of Black Mirror. Uh, and if you don't know what Black Mirror is, it's a sci-fi anthology series from the UK. Um, each episode tells a completely different story, and they run from about 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes in length. And I believe they're actually doing a remake of it for the States this year is what it was dated. So it'd be interesting to see if they follow the same stories or what they do with it. But So episode one is entitled The National Anthem. It was directed by Otto Bathurst and written by Charlie Brooker. So the first episode is about uh, the prime minister being forced to make uh, an unthinkable decision. So the princess is kidnapped and the kidnappers say that the only way they're going to release her is if the prime minister goes on live television on 4 p.m. that day and has sexual intercourse with a pig. (laughs) Yeah, that's Mm. let that sink in. Mm -hmm. So if not, they're going to kill her. And then the best part about this is that this video was uploaded via YouTube. So social media storm has already taken off even before the prime minister knows about this like obscenely ridiculous request. So let's just dive in here. I, I'm not sure if this was supposed to be funny or not, but I was fucking laughing my ass off through the vast majority of this. And that's probably just because I'm immature. But I mean, fuck, <laughs> they're talking about having sex with a pig on national television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, think the, I think the funnier part of that is that this episode mirrors what actually ended up happening in real life when it came out that the current prime minister of England actually has had sex with a pig. Uh, so How there's fucked. that. Yeah. How fucked up? Yeah, wow. I've never done that before, but I have wrapped my dick in bacon. <laughs> so <laughs> Same thing. Same I don't. Thing. I, I don't know if you know it's any discrepancies <laughs> or not. <laughs> oh man! My wife officially thinks you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
That didn't take just long. Jokes, just jokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what were your um, opening thoughts on this one, Ash? Uh, I loved the the kind of Twilight Zone twisted, messed up uh, way this planned out, panned out. Uh, okay. It's kind of like, it, 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 well, it's not like fantasy or sci-fi based. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, taking... Uh, yeah, it's kind of like taking modern technology, though, and putting that horror twist to it. And I absolutely love that about this episode. Um, like, all the different stuff that went down from them bringing in the, the, uh, the, uh, oh, uh, they, they end up sending a, a, one of the reporters, she figures it out, and ends up at the same scene that they're storming, <laughs> hoping to do that, and she gets shot. It's just like, I love all the, all the different stuff around it. But yeah, the, uh, I love the build up to it, and it was so absurd. And it was just like they're not going to do this, are they? Oh <laughs> my god! But it was absurd, but at the same time, it felt like this could happen. And it that just it's like, wow, that just kind of blew my mind a little bit there, you know. The only time I really uh, took it seriously and stopped laughing was at the very end. After he's throwing up in the toilet and his wife calls and he's crying and he can't even answer the phone, I was I just felt so badly for him at that point. But other than that, I just kept laughing about this whole damn thing because it's just so ridiculous. I mean, there's clearly uh, some message here about you know our social media interactions. I mean, you have YouTube, you have Facebook. You say it's trending on Twitter. I mean, he's talking about uh, he, the one guy is basically following the polls. Uh, all the, the comments that people are leaving on all these social media things. You have sexting, for Christ's sake, when the, the girl goes into the um, bathroom and starts taking like naked, topless pictures of herself in order to get information from the prime minister's, you know, inside men, basically. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm not sure what the message is, but it it feels like there's something being said here. Mark, what were your kind of opening thoughts on uh, on this one? Well, I had heard about the series and I knew it was regarding or was it based on like the dark side of technology. Right. So not knowing anything of this show, starting the episode, which I thought was really well shot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I recognized uh, the prime minister uh, played by uh, uh, Michael, uh, pardon me, Rory Kinnear, who yes. was actually also in um, the imitation game, which oh. I had recently seen. So I'm like, oh, I know this guy. Okay. And then him being woken up. And then being told that he's got to fuck a pig. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I was thinking, how has this not been done in real life yet? Like, how? (laughs) why hasn't anybody thought of this prior, you know? I'm like, can you imagine Obama? Or I can imagine George Bush. But can can, you just like the absurdity of the idea? I'm like, it's brilliant. And I'm like, I can't believe nobody's actually threatened someone like with this before. You know, um, so yeah, I was, I didn't think it was funny. I actually felt bad for the prime minister. I'm like, hmm. he's not going to do it. I mean, and, and and then he does it. I'm like, oh my God. me is how fucking quick the rest of his staff was to kind of make that the thing to do. Make the answer be yes. Well, I think it their mood kind of changed. Maybe it was just me because I've only watched the episode once yeah. when he smacked one of his aides out of frustration. Oh, yeah. I think at that point, his staff was like, oh, you're going to fuck a pig? Nah. You know what I'm saying? 
So yeah, I I, I thought they were like on not on not they were sides, but they're trying to prevent it to happen. Mm. And then when that occurred, he's like, yeah, this is going to happen now. You're going to have to do this. You're going to save the princess. I don't. I can't agree with you because the very opening scene, he is like, well, obviously this, you know, page one, this isn't going to happen. He has to turn and is waiting for each of them to kind of agree with him. And it's taking much longer than any real person would expect it to take. And so I don't just from the get go, it's kind of just and they're already making provisions for him to fuck a pig. Well, and so that's what got me. Every good government will have provisions, you know, uh, like you're going to set up your strike <laughs> team and you're also going to find the cutest sow. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is it is a funny situation, but I just felt sorry for this guy. Like even just the actor himself. Like you're an actor, <laughs> you're booked for a gig. I'm playing the prime minister. Fantastic. Right. Well, I'm going to do what? <laughs> you know, like, okay, again, just, just think about it though. Okay. So, so I don't know proper pig anatomy. I'd, I, I just don't look. Google it. Do, do, do you like, how, where would you grip your, put your hands? You, you take like one hand by the tail, but would that maybe make the pig too frightened and kick you? I, I, I don't know the proper they did, procedure. They mentioned that they sedated the pig. Yeah, so that's that true. the pig wouldn't feel anything. Like, oh. I'd rather be harnessed in, you know, maybe with a pulley system. So, like, I come down like uh, Tom Cruise from Mitch Possible oh. 1, and then I'm, like, gripped in or something, you know? Wow. <laughs> I think you put way, way, way too much thought into this. It's all I've thought about for the last two weeks now. <laughs> and, guys, canceling last week. Oh. Could have moved on, but no. Uh, everybody, if you want to put a five-star review on uh, iTunes, you might <laughs> Sons of bitches. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, what What's so disturbing to me is that he, they say it's taken him almost an hour. Like, he fucks the pig for almost an hour before he finally comes. Because, because <laughs> they, they do mention that he has to, quote-unquote, see it through to the end, which means he has to finish. But now, does he have to finish inside the pig, or can he finish on the pig? That wasn't really uh, put in the script there. Uh, you're right. <laughs> no? Is it all internal action? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. They didn't show. Apparently, they, they the terrorist or whatever sent a, the kidnapper sent a, like, a letter, also a note, also, that they never really showed that kind of detailed what he was supposed to do. Yeah. But... Um, so <sighs> I what, I, what I do but, find funny, yeah, uh, but while we're talking about like they try to get uh, you know, do the whole CGI thing, get right. another actor and superpose yeah. his body. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so uh, we're Kinnear, he's you know, he's signed up for the role of the prime minister. This other guy, yeah, he's the pig flogger, like his purpose was to actually fuck the pig, <laughs> all right. What's your motivation in this scene? <laughs> you know? I just kept thinking about that they'd also have to have the prime minister, like, make the faces as <laughs> yeah. if he was fucking the pig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, but what I was confused about is the is the, the kidnapper. Yeah. So, apparently, we see the kidnapper. Yes. Because um, all of a sudden, this random guy just hangs himself. And it, I, did you know that that was the kidnapper before they said it at the, like, during the credits? No. Okay. 
I just want to make sure I didn't miss something. No, and, and just something else regarding these people like watching these news broadcasts. Oh, so yeah. you've got the two orderlies in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You've got the guy in the bed. You've got yeah. the guy who actually did it. Uh, you know, the artist. Mm-hmm. So this is over the course of like eight hours or so. You're telling me these orderlies didn't go back to their job and they <laughs> watched TV for eight hours, That's and the guy in bed stayed in bed all day watching this. <laughs> Weird. They said. Like it had like a TV rating of like one point something billion or something ridiculous like that. Oh, if somebody tells you no and watch that, they're lying to your face. <laughs> Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? I know. Come I, on. At point, I was like, I kind of want to see him fuck the pig. Yeah, you know, for for, <laughs> for science. <laughs> right. Um, science has a lot to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, let's say you know he had to finish to the end. Mm-hmm. That mean that he didn't ha- then had to actually eat the pig for breakfast the next day. <laughs> oh, God. That would have been pretty awesome. That's, that's so fucking gross. <laughs> oh God, delicious. So the twist there, kind of the the Twilight Zone twist at the end, is that um, the princess was actually let free thirty minutes before he fucked the pig. But then uh, the the female prime the prime minister's like female right hand woman I guess was you know make that page of the statement disappear and make sure nobody hears about it so that was kind of the the twist at the end there but I just uh, I don't know what the point was other than to just have something that was um, noteworthy you know on your opening. Your opening uh, episode talking yeah. about a prime minister fucking a pig. I'm not sure what the point was or what the lesson was. Ah, the lesson. I don't know either, to be honest with you. I just know I felt heartbroken. Yeah. Knowing that the princess had been left before he actually had to, like, he actually mm-hmm. went through it for, for her. And this whole time he didn't have to. I was like, I crushed me. I'm like, oh my God. Like, putting myself in his shoes. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you're doing this. You're never going to be the same again. You know, you'll be known as, you know, the big fucking prime minister. Right. Um, and then finding He's, out he didn't have to, to begin with, that it was just a hoax. Not, well, not even not a hoax, just that she was released prior. Yeah. It's just like, oh. And his wife, sang. his wife basically hates him at this point because they kind of they go out a year later uh, and they go out and they think they look like they're all happy in public. The second he gets in the house, the wife storms upstairs and is clearly, um, you know, doesn't feel the same way about him. And so I think for him. the only time I just I I'm glad it, you were able to have that feeling and that connection. But I wasn't until the very moment where he was n- unable to pick up the phone. And uh, because he was so just by himself, he couldn't pick up the phone and talk to his wife. Yeah. But it kind of, I, I, it didn't really have an effect on me when I found out that it was, oh, let it go 30 minutes. And I was just like, oh, okay. I don't know. So it didn't hit me uh, in the same way that it, that it, uh, that I hoped it would. And that it hit you, it sounds like. Um, so what about you, Ash? Um, How did it affect you? I didn't feel bad for him until the end. And even then I was, I was more relishing the wonderful twist that the dude did let her go beforehand yeah uh, more than anything else i thought that was brilliant hmm. i thought that was a great move <laughs> by the guy <laughs> mm-hmm. um but uh i'm i don't know i don't know i i, I maybe a more of a political warning you know and politicians beware social media type of thing I yeah don't. well i'll tell you this episode made me think twice about 
Twitter. <laughs> uh, I, 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 ever since this episode aired, I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Do I really? I, I'm on too much social media. I take up too much of my life. Do I really need Twitter? Uh, yeah, it's really made me think twice about it. You oh, know, uh, all these uh, automatic reactions, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it, that, it makes it think. You know, that's an important part that I kind of skipped over. Is is the wife reading the react the comments on YouTube, the comments on Facebook and Twitter, yeah. and how much it affects her? Um, she's not a uh, a character that's on screen a lot, but I think she has a lot to do with kind of the moral of the story, which obviously there doesn't have to be a moral to every fucking thing we watch. You know what I mean? Like that's not the, my, what I mean. I just, I felt like there was something here. They were going for something here that I didn't catch. I didn't quite get. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of work it out as we go through this, but, um, I think she was important in that sense that we kind of see the reaction uh, from social media and then how she responds to that and how much it affects her, like um, uh, cyberbullying of, of yeah. some form, you know. And I think the reason why it affected me so much as well, where I felt bad for the guy, is that we don't know what kind of prime minister he was. Yeah. Like, was he a popular one? Was he hated? Well, they you did know? say that his approval rating went up like, I don't know, 30 points or something. Um after the f- after the fact, yeah, yeah it but, was the highest it had been for, for any prime minister type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what there was some dialogue in there between the woman and him and the prime mm-hmm. minister that made me think that he was kind of uh, middle of the road, like he wasn't a super popular one or super you know unpopular. Yeah, um, just I forget what she's like. She goes, she's saying something, and to be frank, a blah blah blah. I don't remember what it was, but it was something with the word to be frank in front of it that made me think that. Yeah. Thing is, like, he's not, he, he doesn't perceive, he's not perceived to be like a Trump style blowhard. Correct. You know? Um, so I just felt like he was the victim in this, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it was, you know, him or a Madame uh, Prime Minister, um, I'd, I'd feel the same way. I, I'd feel bad. But, you know, this guy was, didn't seem to be like an asshole type uh, politician. Right. You know, he didn't seem scummy to me. Yeah, he seemed like you know he wakes up like everybody else. He's just you know one of you know he's he's one of you, mm-hmm. um, you know. And he didn't seem elitist in any way. Just he lives in a nice place because he's the prime minister, you know. Yeah. So it's in a way it's like you know this could happen to anybody. I was gonna say I think that's intention, likely intentionally so. Yeah. For like, that feeling, that like anybody. you're 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 him in this episode. You know what I mean? It's like you're going through his paces. You're kind of thinking the same way he is. <laughs> Let's try to stop this before I have to do this. Yeah, you know. So maybe that's why I felt uh, so much for him because I, I just, I could see, <laughs> I, I could see myself in his shoes. You know, he's just like he woke up and now he's got this, this dilemma: do I, mm-hmm. don't I? You know. <laughs> so I was, I was glad that Mal, uh, Malachi, I don't know the the reporter that yeah. she got shot. She was a fucking idiot. Yes, going into the damn <laughs> scene of the crime trying to get footage. I mean, how, but again, it's back to that message, whatever it is, you know? Um, and, and so again, you also using her sexuality to, uh, yep. entice a younger uh, staff member mm-hmm. to give her details. You know? Right. And, uh, they use the helmet cams when they go in. I mean, it's all uh, very clear that you're talking about the, the dark side of technology, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the synopsis of the whole series. So I, I mean, honestly, this one, I, it was memorable because of the fact that there was a guy fucking a pig, but 
other than that, it didn't really do much for me in terms of like, frankly, I didn't even think the the twist was all that great that he let her go 30 minutes before. I was just like, oh, okay. I don't know. There was just something about it that I didn't connect with um, on a, any other level other than it just making me laugh. I laughed a lot. I thought well, it was quite funny. What did you have for breakfast that day? Uh, it was this morning. So nothing. Oh, so okay. Just I no just watched it. Toast. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I, uh, I'm going to give it two stars out of four. What about you, Mark? How many stars are you giving this one? Uh, you know what? It, it's a little hard for me just because I haven't seen any other episodes. Like mm-hmm. this is a first time watch. I didn't watch episode two yet because I want to do one a week. Right. Um, I really dug this episode just because it had my jaw to the ground mm-hmm. and I was squirming. So I want to give this a four. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. And what about you, Ash? I will give it a three and a half. Okay. So we got a two, a four, and a three and a half. That is good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it a significant amount. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I like the next ones more as they go on. So it's it's clearly a a solid series. You know, it's it's very well shot, well done, uh, well written. And so I'm, I'm interested to see the rest of it as it goes on. And me too. Excellent. I guess that. Go ahead. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, you're fine. I just want to make sure. Um, so I guess that's that. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Ash, for joining me tonight. It was a blast as always. Oh, I thought yes. this podcast was Tarantino terrific. <laughs> fucked up I, I fucked it up can we, can we do it again take two okay uh market at 9 25 p.m i thought this was tarantino fuck i did it again uh market 9 26 p.m i thought this episode was tarantino riffic fuck yeah you fucking nailed it good for Got you it. Like a boss. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So be sure to check out uh, Cinefessions.com. We got a bunch of reviews and articles that went live. Uh, We didn't podcast last week, but we sure as hell kept busy. And we did it in the written form last week. So you can find Ash's new article, um, Star Trek Essentials, which volume two just came out this past Monday. Um, I think it's an excellent article. So hopefully you guys are, are reading it. Basically, Ash goes through Star Wars, the original series. Star Trek. Star Trek. I always do that. I don't know why. I, you know what I'm talking about. He goes through Star Trek. <laughs> he goes through Star Trek, the original series, and picks out the essential episodes. So if you're wanting to go through and just kind of grab the uh, the hot episodes, those are the ones to, to watch to still get a full understanding of that Star Trek universe. So uh, definitely check that out. I have a question. Yeah. So let's say you're Captain Kirk, right? Mm-hmm. And the Klingons have Spock. They'll only give Spock back if you fuck a Tribble. <laughs> right? It's not it's not an easy decision. But, but <laughs> right? that's the thing. Triples are triples are already born pregnant. And they, they don't actually mate with each other. So So you don't have to finish, then you just gotta start. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the rules of engagement. That was Tarantino Rific. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> So also on the site, you can find um, the written reviews of The Boy, Robert the Doll, It Follows. Uh, Chris actually posted a DVD review of Haunted House on Sorority Row, which was an independent feature uh, that Chris was able to review. We uh, received a screener for that one, and uh, he seemed to like it, so definitely check that out. Uh, There's also reviews of uh, Contracted and its sequel, Contracted Phase 2 by Ash and myself. 
And so make sure you check out the website for those. And just a reminder, the first five listeners to log into iTunes and leave Cinefessions an honest review and then email us at contact at cinefessions.com, your shipping address, are going to receive a horror slash sci-fi and or cult movie grab bag of some sort. So make sure you do that. It's an easy way to win some free movies, which is something I always love doing. So make sure you join us for the podcast next week. We're going to discuss Black Mirror Episode 2 and the Tarantino-rific Tarantino-thon. Yeah is going to continue on with his second film, Pulp Fiction. So that will be excellent. I cannot wait to talk about Pulp Fiction. It's so ripe for conversation. So, all right. So, gentlemen, you have an excellent evening. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will catch you next time. (laughs) 